the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Everybody thinks of you as a hero, Mr. Bubba. How do you see yourself? I think we're all heroes if you catch us at the right moment. We all have something noble and decent in us trying to get out. And we're all less than heroic at other times. It's the media that uh, notices one person one moment and not another. I'm just like the next person, full of frailty, with uh, some courage, some decency mixed in. You think I'm a hero. To me, a hero is just a symbol of what's good in all of us. You're looking at me and maybe you just notice what's, what's good in yourself. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that clip from the movie Hero. Not the one with the karate guys, but the one with Dustin Hoffman and Andy Garcia, Gina Davis from, I don't know, 1990-something. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think there's, I think there's, we're seeing a lot of heroes. We're not seeing a lot of them on the news yet, but you're starting to. You see the people in uh, in Texas out there, the lines of people, and it said, these aren't people looking for handouts. These are people wanting to volunteer to help and i think uh we have a lot of heroes in our mix i'll tell you at wholesale capital um we sent out an email of hey what can we do for these people let's take up a collection through wcc charities and i'm which means i'm just going to take it and give it to one of the other charities so we sent out some links to the other charities so they could donate and uh one of my employees who i will be i will uh, actually name her christine williams who's one of our it girls said hey let's collect up clothes and blankets and food and everything they need and i'll put them in my truck and i'll take labor day weekend and i'll drive to texas and back and deliver it and uh you know what i i i uh urged against it that say hey you know there's going to be so much chaos there you're not going to know where to where to give it to and and uh, it's going to be more confusion it's probably just give to the charities and let them do their thing but uh christine christine williams been with us for about four or five years, I think. She does IT, and her husband's a retired Marine. And, uh, you know, I give a shout-out to her for what a uh, what a tremendously uh, charitable uh, offer that was to, uh, to hey, give up, I'm going to give up my whole Labor Day weekend, and I'm going to drive my truck and fill it with gas up and back to uh, make sure these people get some help that we can all collect for. My company is uh, extremely charitable, as we, uh, I said, we have a, WCC Charities, and right now we're uh, remodeling the American Legion in Moreno Valley as we did uh, the VFW, and we're supporting our veterans. And uh, you know what? If you want more information on that, WCCCharities.org if you want more information on our charity. But I thought I would take the shout-out with all the what's going on in, Har- in uh, with Hurricane Harvey and uh, say something about that, and I thought that clip uh, actually, uh, actually was, was fitting. Um, I'm going to talk about Hurricane Harvey, what's going on with that. And then we're going to actually going to interview, uh, Mr. Dinesh D'Souza in part two. But before we go any further, 
Let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender located in Southern California. The office is all over the place. If you uh, need to get involved, happily involved in some of the exciting opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Easy to remember, 855 402020 402020 so 8556402020 if you want to get in touch with me but you don't want to talk on the phone because it's so so personal and embarrassing uh and you don't want to and you don't want your neighbors at work hearing your stuff or you don't want I don't want my wife to know how much debt I have uh, or whatever the case, go to wccloans.com, wccloans, L-O-A-N-S.com. Click on the Loan Center and click on Apply Now. Give me as much information as you want. Uh, tell me how much information you want back, and you'll hear from either myself or one of my able-bodied teammates, Alex Rojas, Eric Marquez, uh, Cody Bradbury, Aaron Fredericks, Oscar Trujillo, We'll take care of you. We'll help you fill in the blanks. We'll we'll get back to you on phone, email, text, smoke signals, however you want to do it. We'll uh, we'll send little uh, telegraph taps on the floor and see if you feel them. Um, and we'll uh, help you uh, fill in the missing pieces to your uh, real estate financing puzzle. If you're interested in uh, the wonderful thing called reverse mortgage everyone's talking about, call me or go on WCCLoans.com. If you hear any part of the show you want repeated, Go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on podcast, and there's a whole page, a whole uh, bunch of, uh, of uh, episodes there. You can hear this one and several past shows. Or you can get us on SoundCloud or iTunes, and uh, you can uh, subscribe on iTunes and have it actually download once a week to your podcast listening device, your iPhone, your iPad, your iComputer, your i. Whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you don't know what podcast is, then you probably that probably doesn't mean anything to you. Keep listening on the radio. Connect with the show on Facebook. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. Some weekend, some weeks more than others, and some some more passionate than others, depending on how uh, how uh, angered I get by what I see on TV, um, or hear in the news, or see on the internet, or experience myself. Um, and you can uh, follow the show on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the main event at Hoffman. Um, what else can you follow me on? I don't know. If you if you can't find my show, you're not trying hard. So anyway, let's talk about what's going on this week. Uh, like I said, the only thing in the news all week has been Hurricane Harvey. Uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, hit. Uh, it's impacted miles and miles and miles and miles of Texas, actually about um, also almost almost as much. Or about as much as Hurricane Katrina, although uh, you know the the figures that I see here in some of these uh, stats don't make sense to me because they say this was the largest the largest uh, natural disaster. Um, but Hurricane Harvey, it says 280 miles throughout Texas, but I thought I saw 600 miles. Louisiana was 400 miles in Katrina for Katrina. Mm, I don't know. Um, Let's look at this next this next uh, fact. Harvey is estimated to be the costliest natural disaster in American history. AccuWeather, which I, I thought those were weather guys, they estimate the damage at 190 billion dollars. Hurricane Katrina totaled 49.8 billion. It's dumped 19 trillion gallons of water over southeast Texas and five and a half trillion gallons of rain over Louisiana. I don't know if you know what that means, but uh, someone I heard somebody say if you took a big uh, fish tank 
two miles long and two miles wide and two miles high, um, that's a trillion gallons. Maybe that's five trillion gallons. I don't know. Whatever it is, it was a boatload of. It was a. It was a lot of water. It was a lot of water. I heard one guy say, "Hey, I normally uh, I normally drive through this freeway and that freeway, and the the streets that I normally drive to work on are twenty feet underwater. Can you imagine that? Twenty feet, twenty feet deep. It must be an underpass or something, because I don't know how it could do that if they got fifty inches of water. How that could be twenty feet? I think it's just accumulated. And some area some areas were impacted because the rain was so hard." And that was filling up the levees, and the levees were taking that water out. But on the way, they some of them overflowed or collapsed, and uh, so it flooded areas that may not have flooded otherwise. Um, regardless, it's it's a mess. It's a real mess out there. Um, so we, you know, you hope. Hey, go on the go on to uh, KTII KTIE five ninety or five ninety uh, five ninety the answer dot com uh, or eight seventy the answer dot com or. Uh, uh, any of the other any of the other answer um, uh, websites, and there's a thing to donate, and they're donating to save the children, which I'm just assuming that Salem Broadcasting vetted um, because they know what a uh, Christian organization they are, and uh, that's who they're they're donating. Anybody that wants to donate, um, or go to the Red Cross and donate to them to help these people. Um, the president visited uh, Texas on Tuesday. He cho- chose to make stops in Corpus Christi and Austin in order to spare the city of Houston the chaos of what happens when a president comes to town. Apparently, nobody notices that when a, pre- a president comes to town, they block off all the all the streets and they uh, they block off the streets, and you've got tons of cars and Secret Service, and uh, you know they they impact everybody's life who goes there. Ask the people of Hawaii that what happened every Christmas when when. Uh, Barack insane Obama um uh when he'd go go to Hawaii for Christmas and just basically disrupt everybody's lives and businesses there for for two or three weeks I bet you the people of Hawaii are glad to see him gone cuz Trump doesn't go to Hawaii for Christmas um but just think about that so he he thought and of course of course uh President Bush got got a criticized during Hurricane Katrina when he flew over. Somebody snapped a picture of him looking out the window of, of Air Force One at the flood of after Hurricane Katrina and not stopping because he did the same thing. Let's stay out of the way. It's just going to cause chaos and look at what chaos they're in. Trump waited a few days, but he didn't want to wait too long because everyone's going to say, look, he didn't even go down to check it out. But he didn't go to Houston because he didn't want to get in the middle of everything. He's there in a meeting with local leaders where they talked about what really matters, the business of rebuilding and the area of helping people. What else can he talk about? What else can you expect the president to do? Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to invite everybody who's out of a house over to the White House, and we're just going to put them up there. What else can he do? He can't stop what happened. He didn't cause what happened. Um, here he is uh, Here he is talking in, uh, in uh, Corpus Christi. The sad thing is that uh, this is long term. Nobody's ever seen anything this long and nobody's ever seen this much water in particular. The wind was pretty horrific, but the water has never been seen like this to this to the extent. And uh, uh, it's uh, maybe someday going to disappear. We keep waiting. We have three of our great four of our great congressmen right here. And we want to appreciate we really appreciate you being here. We're going to be working with Congress on helping out the state of Texas. Uh, it's going to be a costly proposition. I'm sorry, that was in Austin. That was in Austin. And uh, 
you know what he said? Sounds like what else could he do? Let's go down and see it for ourselves so we experience it, we understand. You know, just seeing it, I'm sure, is alarming. Rather than seeing it on TV, you see it on TV, you go, man, look at that. But then you also saw, saw you know, by the end of the week, you're seeing them show neighbor neighborhoods where it's dried up. You know, hey, it was wet. It's not wet now. We're rebuilding, but there's still a whole lot of area that's still underwater. Um, and then, then what I what I call George, uh, uh, Trump's George W. Bush moment outside the fire station in Corpus Christi, and I'll tell you what I relate this to is is George W. Bush's moment at Ground Zero a couple days after after nine eleven. You know what? Uh, what more can he say? Hey, this is this is huge. We're gonna all get together and 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 uh, prop you guys up, and uh, you know, be encouraging to them. And uh, you know, all you can do is pick yourself by, up by your bootstraps. So we have a president who's meeting with all the local leaders, uh, congressmen, senators, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, uh, discussing how to get federal funds to these people. But for the media, none of that mattered. In addition to the complaints that Trump isn't hugging people. Hey, you know what? What do you want him to do? Oh, we wait. We need him to have a have an Obama moment. Go in there and hug somebody, just so they see. So, so it looks like you care. Like other presidents have, you know, uh, Obama and uh, I don't. I don't even remember. Let's see, Obama hugged Chris Christie. I don't remember uh, um, George Bush hugging anybody um, at at the uh, hurricane. Oh yeah, because he was in. Air Force One. Maybe he hugged the pilot. Um, I really don't know what they're what they're expecting. So, in addition to he, the fact that he's not hugging, they're jumping on the throwaway remark that he made about the crowd size. Here's ABC News's John Carl. There you see, hear him doing as we've heard him done to do so many times in the past. Talk about the size of the crowd, uh, which seems you know. Uh, kind of an odd juxtaposition given what's going on. Again, he he wasn't in Houston. He wasn't uh, in, in the area uh, that had been hit so hard uh, by the flooding. It continues to be hit hard by the flooding. He was essentially talking to supporters, uh, looking a, a bit more like a political rally uh, than a visit to a disaster area. Hey, John Carl, you know what? What is what is your issue? What is your issue? What do they? You know what? Pay attention, folks. Because especially when we get to part two of this, uh, and we talk to Dinesh D'Souza, talk about what the media is trying to distract you away from. Hey, we have a president who went down there and did what he could do. He's supportive. He went and saw it, so he knows the the impact of the deal. And they're talking about the fact that he made a comment about the crowds. What did you want him to do? Okay, and then taking critiques of the president's uh, taking the critiques of the president to a new low. Jeff Zeleny uh, of CNN. 
One thing I am struck by here, seeing all the stories of emotion, all the stories of loss, of devastation still unfolding. We do not know the extent of the damage here. Very little in terms of empathy from this president. Very little in terms of emotion or talking directly to the people of Texas. He's been talking about the businesses, talking about the response and his crowd. What do you want him to do? Very little in the minor, in the way of empathy. Well, we found out Thursday night that uh, he donated a million dollars of his own money. I don't know. How much did Barack Obama spend of his own money? He didn't have any money. The only money he did, he he, he, he extorted from taxpayers. Because I don't know. He went into uh, went into uh, White House with a uh, basically a zero net worth, and he came out with $26 million. How did that happen? I don't know, because the media didn't tell me what to think about it. Pay attention to these folks and make sure that your millennial, your millennials uh, out there that are you call your kids and your coworkers and your neighbors, uh, make sure that you point these things out. One more, so one more time, let's hear the president talk about his empathy for these people. This is what he said Wednesday while he was speaking in Missouri. To those affected by this storm, we are praying for you and we are here with you every single step of the way. And I can speak, I know, for the people in this room, every step of the way. (laughs) To those Americans who have lost loved ones, all of America is grieving with you and our hearts are joined with yours forever. You know what? I'm sure those words didn't do anything for anybody. But you know what? I don't know what you expect one guy to do. Well, you know, let's just uh, let's just criticize them. You know, let's let's talk about some of the quality quality of the people in this country that we need to get rid of. Um, you know, there's been a little bit of uh, people looting going on there, and uh, quite frankly, I'm I like seeing this. It was a YouTube video that somebody posted. I don't even remember what town it's in, but some town in Texas where one guy is defending he's defending somebody else's businesses uh, voluntarily. From uh, from looters. It don't make no sense that these guys out here too lazy to get a damn job. The energy they using to rob, they even try to use their energy to rescue people. Hey, look, man, my friend over here, man, stopping the looter. Let them know what you're doing, homeboy. Protecting the community while I'm here. I'm a man of in this area. I'm a former law enforcement officer, so I understand what the law says. I got a right for protection of a third person's property. If you're looting, you're stealing. It's a violation of Texas law and federal law in a time of a catastrophe. Do not enter people's homes. People protect yourselves. Constitution says you got the right to bear arms. We need more real men out here to step up to protect where you live. This storm is temporary. Yeah, we need some more real men in this country just to represent and be America. So uh, it's not just the president, but you know, we're going back to the. Let's go back to the uh, to the uh, criticism that the that the. media is doing it's not just the president who was condemned during this natural disaster they even found something to attack the first lady melania trump over and her shoes come on you little people you little people and i'm probably not talking to anybody who listens to my show because i'm sure they don't listen to anything intelligent um because they aren't intelligent when melania was seen disembarking from air force one wearing stiletto heels. Well, she wasn't really disembarking from Air Force One. She was walking to Marine One. She's walking out of the White House across the lawn on stiletto heels. You know what? If she wears them all the time, and I guess she was a model in the back in uh, her history, and she's always getting dressed up because she's the first lady, 
that's to walk on high heels is nothing. I can tell you, my wife used to wear them all the time and say, "Wouldn't you be more comfortable in sneakers?" No, I like these; they're comfortable. Okay. So Melania is seen walking out of the White House into Marine One and then walking out of Marine One up the stairs of, of, uh, of Air Force One wearing stiletto heels. The media went nuts and portrayed her as a modern-day Marie Antoinette. Here's Tucker Carlson reading the headlines. The Daily Beast said Melania Trump heads to Houston, hurricane zone in sky-high stilettos. Writer Maria Del Russo dubbed her, quote, flood watch Barbie and added, quote, this outfit literally screams I'm an out-of-touch elitist and what is a hurricane? The New York Times tried philosophically to ask the question, when is a shoe not just a shoe? Whether the headlines caused it or not, by the time she landed, Melania Trump had changed into sneakers. She was not seen eating cake. And then here's uh, then there's Ted Cruz, who was in the middle of the relief efforts all week long, but can't seem to catch a break. Here he is on MSNBC. Anchor Katie Tour was nice enough to him for five minutes, but then she threw out threw out his vote on Hurricane Sandy bill in, in his face. But a lot of people are pointing out that you voted against aid for Sandy after that catastrophic catastrophic storm up in the Northeast, that package back in 2012. Uh, and they're they're pointing at you and saying you're asking for money now when you weren't willing to help the people in the Northeast. What do you have to say to them? Well, you know, look, there's time for political sniping later. I think our focus really needs to be on this crisis Senator. and this These disaster. These are people who needed money and who needed funding right after that storm. I covered those people. Many of them, just like those in Houston, lost absolutely everything they owned. Well, Katie, Katie, of course, that's right. And, and the accurate thing to say is that I and a number of others enthusiastically and emphatically supported hurricane relief. The disaster relief has been a vital federal role for a long, long time, and it should continue. The problem with that particular bill is it became a $50 billion bill that was filled with unrelated pork. Two-thirds of that bill had nothing to do with Sandy. And, and what I said then and still believe now is, is that it's not right for politicians to exploit a disaster and people are hurting to pay for their own political wish list. Disaster relief needs to be focused on the victims of disaster relief, and I supported that for Sandy, disaster relief there, and I would support that anywhere there's a major disaster without getting getting distracted by, by, by political unnecessary pork spending. You know, and, and uh, it's it's just the media trying to push every little negative thing on the Republicans. Hey, we've got a natural disaster. Pay attention, folks. I have one other clip where I'm going to play, uh, where I'd play Chris Christie blasting Ted Cruz about uh, he didn't give uh, Barack Obama a bear hug like uh, Christie did, and it still took uh, still took forever to get the money to uh, to the to the victims. But I want to play uh, as I'm running out of time for part one. I want to play this video uh, to be a prelude to part two, where I'm going to interview Dinesh D'Souza on his new book, uh, The Big Lie. Let me play that. Let's play a game of who am I. Listen very carefully to the clues. I was born in one country, but raised in another country. My father was born in yet another country. I was not his only child. He fathered several children with numerous women. I became very close to my mother, as my father showed no interest in me. My mother died at an early age from cancer. Although my father deserted me and my mother raised me, I later wrote a book idolizing my father, not my mother. Later in life, questions arose over my real name. My birth records were sketchy. No one was able to produce a legitimate, reliable birth certificate. I grew up practicing one faith, but then converted to Christianity, as it was widely accepted in my new country. 
I wrote a book about my struggles growing up. It was clear to those who read my memoirs that I had difficulties accepting that my father abandoned me as a child. I became active in local politics when I was in my 30s. Then, with help behind the scenes, I literally burst onto the world scene as a candidate for national office in my 40s. They said I had a golden tongue and I could talk anyone into anything. I had a virtually non-existent resume, little work history, and no experience in leading a single organization. Yet I was a powerful speaker, and citizens were drawn to me, as though I were a magnet. I drew incredibly large crowds during my public appearances. This bolstered my ego. At first, my political campaign focused on my country's foreign policy. I was very critical of my country in the last war and seized every opportunity to bash my country. But what launched my rise to national prominence were my views on the country's economy. I called my campaign a people's campaign. I was the surprise candidate because I emerged from outside the traditional path of politics and I was able to gain widespread popular support. I knew that if I merely offered the people hope, together we could change our country and the world. So I started to make my speeches sound like they were on behalf of the downtrodden, the poor, the ignorant, to include persecuted minorities. My true views were not widely known and I kept them unknown until after I became my nation's leader. I had to carefully guard reality, as anybody could have easily found out what I really believed if they had simply read my writings and examined those people that I associated with. I'm glad they didn't do it, because then I became the most powerful man in the world, and then the world learned the truth. Who am I? I am Adolf Hitler. Folks, think about that. I'm out of time for part one. Think about that as we go into uh, part two, our interview with Dinesh D'Souza. Stay tuned for uh, part two after five minutes of uh, traffic, weather, and commercials, and I'll be right back with you. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, President Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about uh, mortgages or real estate on my show because I figured it out over the last almost 10 years. That, uh, you know, and if you're not in the market for it, it might be boring to you. So uh, I talk about it a little bit and then I let you guys, uh, when, when it's time, if you, if you hear someone on the radio that sounds like they think like you and you need, you need to buy or refinance or you need a reverse mortgage, you call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And, uh, and again, if you're looking to buy a house, you're thinking about buying a house. You're wondering if you could afford a house. You're wondering if your kids could afford a house so you could get them out of your living room couch or your basement or your extra bedroom. Uh, call me at 855-640-2020. And, most, and mostly the, the, hottest, the hottest ticket on the out there right now, the thing that most people are – maybe it's because I'm conservative talk radio that I'm getting so many calls from people uh, – uh, over 62 looking for uh, reverse mortgages. But whatever the case, if you're interested in a reverse mortgage, you're over 62, you got some equity, but you'd like to have more cash or you'd like to have uh, less mortgage payment, call me at 855-640-2020. I'll help you out with that as well. Don't forget about the uh, main event listener hotline where you can leave me a voicemail. Tell me what you think of the show. Leave me a message at 855-640-2092. And I just might play your message on the show like this one. I have a solution for America's healthcare problems. Since the Democrats will only accept Obamacare and nothing else, no matter how good the plan is that Trump comes up with, I say let's give uh, let's give them uh, Obamacare. 
but, but there's got to be one caveat. The, the left has to pay for their Obamacare, not uh, 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 we'll pay for ours and they can pay for ours. No, I think he meant to say pay for, pay for theirs, but nevertheless, hey, you know what? That's that's uh, another solution. Keep two of them. Give one to give one to the Congress people that won't uh, abolish Obamacare. Hey, our guest this week is Dinesh D'Souza, conservative author and filmmaker. You know him from his many books and films, including 2016 Obama's America, America: Imagine a World Without Her, and Hillary's America: The Secret History of the Democratic Party. Which I don't know if anybody else uh, remembers that the original book was actually called Stealing America. Um, now he's now he's back with a book that could uh, not be more timely, called The Big Lie: Exposed the Nazi roots of the American left. It tells the truth of who the real fascists and Nazis are or were historically and how the American left is still defending Nazi doctrine today. Dinesh, welcome back to the main event. Hey, it's great to be on the show. So does so does anybody does anybody else uh, remember that the original book was Stealing America, not Hillary's America? Well, you, you know, you got to um, you got to realize there were two books. I published Stealing America first. And then the Hillary's America book came out concurrently with the movie, so the film was actually based on the two books. And I wonder, and I wonder if if you re-released the movie with Stealing America on there, if some other people might go see it instead of because I know I bought I bought like uh, fifty or a hundred uh, copies of it and gave it to all my employees, and uh, and I said, hey, and some of the people said, I don't want to read that. You want to? You need to? You need to go see something about Trump. And I go. I watch everything about Trump. I watch everything about George Bush and all the all that stuff. But um, I think some people were some some of the people that needed to see it might have been taken back because it said Hillary's America. I wonder if we could trick them into seeing it by by changing that. But anyway, you know, I digress. A, that's a good point. That's that's actually valid. My wife had suggested to me that we don't call the movie Hillary's America. Her reason was a little different. She said people are so disgusted with Hillary that uh-huh. they don't want to sit through ninety minutes of Hillary. And I said, well, the movie isn't 90 Minutes of Hillary. It's actually mostly on the history of the Democratic Party. Exactly. And her point was, well, why don't you call the movie that? Well, I will tell you that I've seen all the movies. I've seen them several times because I've used pieces from them for my show. And I love them. And you are you are a master of of, uh, of you should if you weren't if you weren't doing what you're doing, you should be a history teacher. More kids would actually understand what they're uh, what they're learning. Well, I think, you know, my gift in, in writing and, and also in the movies is to present complex ideas in a way that are not only understandable, but also in a way entertaining. And in this book, I, I pivot. This book is called The Big Lie. I pivot from the race card, which I dealt with in my earlier work, to the fascism card, because it seems like that is now the, the meta story, the big story underlying all the other stories in the way that the the left is approaching Trump. Exactly, exactly. So let's start with the obvious question. What is the big lie you address in the book? The big lie is the idea that fascism and Nazism are phenomena of the right. Now, this big lie predates Trump. It's come into feverish pitch now, but the big lie really got going after World War II, when the progressives who were coming to power in the academy, in the media, in Hollywood— They knew that fascism and Nazism were on the left. They knew Hitler was a national socialist. They knew Mussolini was a Marxist. They knew that the Democratic Party and the left in America had been very close to Italian fascism and even to early Nazism. They knew all that. 
but they wanted to cover it up because they knew that that fascism at that point had been stained irredeemably, irredeemably by the reputation of Holocaust. And so they, they left it out of the textbooks, and they very cunningly moved fascism from the left-wing column, where it always belonged, into the right-wing column. That's the big lie. And uh, your book your book is so well-timed. It outlines the political rallies that have broken out in the and the violence over the past year, excluding Charlottesville and the latest Berkeley rally because they hadn't happened by that time. But you caught the first two Berkeley rallies, the Not My President Day in February, March 4th uh, rallies in Fourth State am- that were ambushed by Antifa. Uh, who we're going? Who we're going to talk about in a moment? Um, the anti-Trump tax days on uh, on in April on April was it April seventeenth or something. Uh, the rallies well, and the yeah, rallies calling for the just, impeachment. You know, from my point of view, I mean, I'm an immigrant and, and I came to America in the late seventies. Uh, I'm a product of the Reagan era, which was, I would say, in retrospect, an era of gentlemen's politics. You know, you could see Reagan and Tip O'Neill duking it out on policy, but then you could envision them having a beer afterward. Now, clearly that America is gone. Uh, and I mean, I haven't seen these, this kind of street fighting going on with people carrying weapons, wearing masks, beating each other up. I mean, this kind of nonsense. I mean, we haven't seen this since, you know, Italy in the 20s or, or Germany in the 30s. That's why I think the, we're living through a fascist moment in American politics but the fascism isn't coming from Trump. It isn't coming from the Republicans. It's coming from the Democratic Party. And the and the media is, is just supporting that. And they're uh, the media would would is trying to portray Antifa as heroic resistors trying to block the rise of Nazism in America. Uh, you know what? What do you think the point of the media doing that is? Well, the the media, just like the Academy in Hollywood, represents you could call it the fascism of the institution. Now, how do we know that? Because one of the marks of fascism is to send a chill wind of intolerance through the industry, drive out people who don't agree with your agenda, persecute them, torment them, make them into pariahs. Uh, the Nazis call this Gleichschaltung, which means coordination, but it refers to essentially cleansing the major institutions of culture of dissenters. So here in America, we call it political correctness. And so naturally, the fascist institutions are protecting the fascism of the street because they're, they're essentially fighting on the same side. And that's why the media was so determined for Trump to call out only the white nationalists and pretend not to recognize all the violence that's coming from the left. And and it, and it seems that they're trying to say Antifa, and they're they're trying to say that Antifa is supporting. See, the Antifa people are against are against the uh, are against Trump, and I'm it's, I'm trying to I'm trying to put Charlottesville together, where it seems like they're both on the same side. I mean, they're using, they're using well, Antifa you know, against the Charlottesville Trump. thing. I think as we learn more about it, we can see that that the Charlottesville, it's almost like a play that was staged by the left. And here's what I mean. This guy, Jason Kessler, who was the organizer of Charlottesville, he's an Obama guy. So he's a white supremacist Obama guy. I mean, that's strange on the face of it. He's an Occupy Wall Street guy. Uh, So he's a left winger, not a right winger. And so when 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 you know this, and this is not something the media has wanted to focus on, the whole thing appears to have been staged. Staged to do what? To promote a narrative and a big lie. And the big lie is, you know, we want to see these neo-Nazi guys walking around with Make America Great Again hats. That way we can portray fascism as a phenomenon of the right 
That way we can make people think that the ordinary, you know, meeting of the Republican Party in Peoria, Illinois, is made up of skinheads, Ku Klux Klansmen, and fascists. So that is, you know, pure nonsense. In reality, those white nationalists in Charlottesville are a tiny marginal minority. They have no power. Now contrast them with Antifa. The Antifa guys have real power. They can drive speakers off campus. They have powerful allies in the media, in Hollywood, and in the Democratic Party. In fact, you could even say Antifa is the paramilitary wing of the Democratic Party, kind of in the same way that the Ku Klux Klan used to be the paramilitary wing of the Democratic Party. The only difference is the Klansmen wore white, these dudes wear black. That's that's a that's a quick uh, that's a quick way to disguise themselves. We just don't see it because they're not wearing white, and yeah, they're putting uh, they're putting black uh, bed sheets on. So uh, you say you say in the book that terms like uh, Nazi and fascist have become virtually meaningless in popular culture. Uh, explain that. Well, when you listen to the left saying, you know, I'm thinking here of Bill Maher or Rachel Maddow, Chris Matthews, all the people who've been bloviating about fascism since the election. Um, they've created a kind of fake fascism. Oh, Trump is a fascist because he's a nationalist. Now, wait a minute. You know, I'm from India. Gandhi was a nationalist. Mandela was a nationalist in South Africa. Uh, Churchill was a nationalist, as was as were the American founders. Obviously, these people weren't all fascists. So fascism does not mean nationalism. What does fascism mean? Well, what it means is the the centralized state, the growing power of the centralized state, state control of the economy, state control of the lives of individual citizens. Now, that doesn't sound to me a whole lot like the platform of the Republican Party. Sounds a little bit more like the platform of the Democratic Party. Yeah, but they don't they don't ever they don't ever bring that out. They don't bring out they bring out what they what they say, but they don't bring out their uh their uh, their intentions. You know, when they say, "Hey, we want to give people we want to give people uh, a hand up. We want to give, you know, we got to help these help these people that don't have jobs so they can they can feed their families. And they don't realize that by giving them a fish instead of a fishing pole, they're making them uh, making them dependent. Yeah, it's not that they don't realize it. They don't care about it. I mean, look at the inner cities of America. We spent trillions of dollars on them, and they're in the same miserable status that they were in 1968. Now, the Democrats don't seem to be particularly alarmed about this. Why? Because they've got a stranglehold of political power over those areas. And as law, and that was the point from the beginning, is to establish this kind of control, political control, over these communities. Once they've done that, whether or not people come up, whether there are ladders of opportunity, whether whether there's Starbucks, whether there are new jobs being created, that becomes a matter that is completely secondary. Okay, so we we talked about we, we touched on this a few minutes ago, but we also uh, I brought it up last week on my show about the uh, the fact that they saw somebody Louis Gohmert had actually said that he saw that they had witnesses of people uh, with uh, from uh, the white supremacist groups and Antifa and Black Lives Matter getting off the same buses. Um, do you buy it? Do you buy into the the that that this whole thing is orchestrated? Well, I, I, you know, I've, I've basically said I suspect that it is, and there's, there are enough indications that it is. This guy, Jason Kessler, whom I mentioned earlier, he made a video recently on his, on his, um, on his Twitter feed and his website attacking me, and he basically attacks me from the left. He goes, Dinesh is a pawn of rich corporations, he's a pawn of the capitalists, and you just listen to this guy and you realize he's a left-winger, he's not a right-winger. So the whole effort to portray Charlottesville as a sort of right-wing phenomenon was a fraud. And the, even the name, Unite the Right, what do you mean Unite the 
right. I've been on the right for 30 years. I've spoken at innumerable GOP events, Reagan dinners, Lincoln dinners. I've never seen a neo-Nazi or a Ku Klux Klansman, any of these dudes at any of these events. They're not even part of the Republican Party. So that's why I suspect that the Charlottesville deal was, was essentially a theatrical event for media consumption. Yeah, I've uh, I've been in I've been at a few Lincoln Club meetings and a few uh, uh, Tea Party rallies and a few uh, Republican things and Trump rallies. I haven't seen any skinheads there there either. Any uh, any I haven't seen any Ku Klux Klan guys. And uh, actually, I saw I saw people of all different colors that just wanted to have America back. Yeah, one of the most explosive things in the book is it documents the deep and intimate connections between the Democratic Party on the one hand and not only Italian fascism, but German National Socialism. I mean, here you have the Nazis, for example, who are drafting the Nuremberg Laws. These are the notorious laws that made Jews into second-class citizens, segregated them into ghettos, forbade intermarriage between Jews and Germans, confiscated Jewish property. Well, here's the scene. The Nazis are around the table. They're talking about these laws. And suddenly one of the Nazis goes, wait a minute, we don't have to do any of this stuff. We, we think we're creating the world's first racial state, but the Democrats in America have beaten us to it. They've already done it. You look at all these Jim Crow laws, they already segregate blacks and whites. They prohibit intermarriage. They have state-sponsored discrimination. We just need to take their laws, cross off the word black, write in the word Jew, and we're off to the races. And so the Nazis actually sat with blueprints of the American democratic laws modified them and created the Nuremberg Laws. It isn't just that the two are similar. The Nazis actually got it from the Democrats. Yeah, people people don't remember. Uh, people, you know, I don't even know if they teach American history in school anymore, but, you know, the, the hey, we're separate but equal uh, that was going on in the, in the 50s and 60s and before the uh, Civil Rights Movement. Um, now, you've acknowledged President Trump is, is a nationalist. You've also stated nationalism does not equal fascism. And you make the argument that many of the historical figures that the left idolizes are also nationalists like Gandhi. It seems like progressives know there's nothing inherently wrong with nationalism, so they switch to saying white nationalism instead by putting that word white white in there that does a better job of fitting their narrative of Trump being a racist. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's and, and that's part of the big lie because, look, uh, the distinction that Trump is making is not a racial one at all. He's distinguishing between the legal immigrant on the one hand and the illegal alien on the other. Now, what the left never points out is that most legal immigrants who come to America today are not white. They don't come from Europe. They come from Asia, from Africa, from South America. Now, have you ever heard Trump say, hey, I want to see more uh, legal immigrants from Australia, Canada, and England. I don't want to see immigrants from India and Barbados. He never says that. Nope. So the, Trump's line is not a racial line at all. And the effort to portray he's an American nationalist, not a white nationalist. And the effort to conflate those two is part of the left's big lie. And uh, you have you have a theory about white supremacist groups, why they align themselves with Trump, you actually blame it on, uh, on multiculturalism. Tell us about that. Well, yes, because, you know, you mentioned the report about the, the, the White Lives Matter. You know, if you think of the white supremacists as White Lives Matter, then the White Lives Matter guys and the Black Lives Matter guys are basically saying the same thing, just using a different label. Now, the Democrats love ethnic nationalism. They're always telling the Hispanics, you know, be proud of who you are, emphasize your ethnic identity, you know, Hispanic pride, Latino pride, black pride, Asian pride, and so on. 
But the one pride that they don't like is white pride. And they try to mobilize all these other ethnic nationalisms against white nationalism. Now, if they didn't do that, if they were equally for every type of ethnic nationalism, then all these white nationalists would very happily be in the Democratic Party. Like I said a moment ago, they agree with the Democratic Party's class warfare. They hate Wall Street. They hate the rich. They basically have the same ideology as Black Lives Matter, except they're white. But the Democrats, because the Democrats make these guys the bad guys and blame them for all the sins of history, the white nationalists have no place in the Democratic, you may say, multicultural picnic. And so they drift toward Trump's American nationalism, which is not the same as what they believe, but at least it makes some room for them because it makes room for all Americans. And I, and I know that our, uh, our melting pot theory of the early America was bring, bring all, your, all these different cultures together and melt into ours. And multi, multiculturalism is bring your culture here and still enjoy it and not mesh in yeah. with the rest of America. Exactly. And I still am a believer in the old model. And by the old model, I mean we can be a multiracial society, but we should not try to be a multicultural society. We can have people of different backgrounds, different skin colors, even eating, eating different, different ethnic food and so on, but nevertheless, all embracing the Constitution, all embracing the rule of law, and all embracing these, the, the American dream, the ladders of opportunity that America represents in the world. Yeah, I, I have a personal, uh, personal experience with uh, some, uh, some of my, uh, my family that's, uh, that's, that's uh, Filipino, and I just don't, I don't understand some of the, their multicultural food that they eat. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. <laughs> Say, hey, I don't want to eat that stuff, but I still love you. Um, so in the book, you said that, that the essence of fascism and Nazism are, uh, are collectivism, statism, and socialism, which are all basically the same thing, none of which are anything that President Trump values. How do you think the left justifies calling someone like Donald Trump a fascist who's so obviously a capitalist? Well, they, they make up a they make up a definition of fascism that is clearly invalid. I mean, even their claim that Trump Trump is an authoritarian. First of all, Trump is not an authoritarian. If Trump really was an authoritarian, he couldn't be blasted from every media platform every single hour of the day, from comedians to, to people on CNBC. I mean, if Trump was really Mussolini, he would have marched some soldiers into those radio stations and TV stations and shut them down overnight. Um, that's what real authoritarians do. But let's say Trump was an authoritarian. He's still not a fascist. Why? Because we've had authoritarians from the beginning of time, from Caligula through, you know, through Julius Caesar, perhaps. Obviously, these people aren't all fascists. Authoritarianism is not the same thing as fascism. Correct. And uh, you have some photos in the book, one of which is uh, an image of Hitler's uh, actual Nazi party platform from 1920. Uh, you say it reads like the platform of today's Democratic Party. I think most of it does. I read it, I read it and say, yeah, I think there's a few things they would probably disagree with. But the other ones, they wouldn't really know that it's that it, that it's bad. Um, uh, would and this would you think it would undoubtedly provoke thunderous applause if it was read at the Democratic Convention? Well, I mean, Hitler used this phrase like usury, which are out of date, and he also obviously rails against the Jews. But let's say you took, you know, Hitler's argument against the Jews is that the Jews are, are not making anything productive. They're not actually growing crops. They're not actually constructing buildings. They represent, quote, finance capitalism. Well, if you listen to the Democrats railing about the top 1%, you notice the Democrats never attack Procter & Gamble. They never attack auto companies. They attack Wall Street. Why? Because to them, Wall Street represents finance capitalism. So what I'm trying to say is even on the issue of the Jews, if you change the language a little bit and made it, you know, rich, swindling bankers and so on, the same kind of rhetoric that Hitler used, 
I, and, and you actually gave that speech at the Democratic National Convention. I predict that you'd get a lot of a lot of applause. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought I hadn't thought about changing that to the to the the rich fat cats. Hey, finally, uh, we're running out of time. Can I can I get your thoughts on the media's attack towards President this week? He visited the devastation in Texas. Been some pretty ridiculous uh, some pretty, pretty ridiculous comments. I saw one today in Newsweek that accused him of trying to cash in on the hurricane because he uh, wore his campaign hat. Uh, you know how much lower do you think they're going to go? Well, you know, this not since 1860 have the Democrats been so unwilling to accept the result of a lawful election. I mean, in 1860, they decided, okay, we're quitting, we're leaving the country, secession, goodbye. This time they're not doing that, but they're trying usurpation. They're acting as though even though Trump was elected, he somehow doesn't have legitimacy. He doesn't have a right to rule. And that's why the book on this book on fascism, The Big Lie, is timely, is because fascism is the justification for all the crazy stuff they're doing. I mean, asking electors not to vote to the, for the candidate they're pledged to, not showing up to the inauguration, disrupting the inaugural parties with violence, uh, driving speakers off the campus, creating riots in major cities. I mean, this kind of conduct would normally be completely unacceptable, but the left thinks they have warrant for it because they believe it's sort of like they're fighting Hitler in the 1930s. Exactly. I hope everyone goes out and gets uh, the new book, uh, The Big Lie, Exposing Nazi Roots of the American Left. I got it on iTunes. I was disappointed that you weren't reading it, Dinesh, because you know, you've got a, you've got a, just a, a way with your words and how you speak, um, but it, I'm enjoying it anyway. Uh, it's available in local bookstores, online, and on iTunes. Dinesh, we all love the, the movies that accompanied your last three. Uh, will there be a movie for The Big Lie? Yes, I'm going to make one for next summer. It'll be right in time for the midterm election. And, you know, boy, the great thing about this topic is it is so beautifully cinematic and haunting and creepy. So it's going to be a creepy movie. Can I have a cameo in it? <laughs> yes, you can. All right. We'll talk. Sure. After, we'll, we'll talk later. All right. <laughs> okay, Dinesh. Nice being on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks. And thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Dinesh D'Souza. Okay, folks, again, if you want if you want to get Dinesh's book, go to uh, Amazon or the bookstore or uh, iTunes. It's a great, it's a, well, it's a great listen so far. I wish Dinesh had narrated it himself because he just sounds so much better. I'm out of time for this episode of the main event. Again, if you want to, uh, before I go, don't forget the listener hotline, 855-640-2092. Everybody's entitled to my opinion, and now you get a chance to, to give me yours. And may or may not want to hear it, but uh, go ahead and clobber me if you want, or uh, if you got some ideas. Uh, the microphone is yours, 855-640-2092. If you want to get in touch with me regarding uh, financing, reverse mortgages, Forward mortgages, purchases, refinances, 855-640-2020. Again, my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event, and I will be back again with you next week. The content of this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 0114-7747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603-K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB number 096199. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.